When I first recorded this interview with my friend Neil, it was meant to be a one-part podcast interview about his incredible story. And when I finished recording and thought about it and listened to his story, there was no way we were done. We had to continue with a second part. So thank you for tuning in. And this is my conversation with my dear friend of 35 years, Neil Fair, and his incredible feat. And I hope you are inspired and catch us in part two as well. I'm Tana Sterland, a travel expert who has built a multi-million dollar travel business exploring the world in search of culture and adventure. In the past 13 years, I have been creating a travel company that allows me to curate travel experiences for clients while still continuing to explore our world. Every week I will talk about travel experiences, tips and tricks, as well as host some travel friends to share their experiences with all of you. The good, the bad, the hilarious, hopefully providing insight for your next travel adventure. Come, travel with Tannis, and make sure to follow me at Travel with Tannis on Instagram. Neil Fair is a friend of mine who has been a friend of mine for as long as I can remember. Um, when I was a young, obnoxious teenager, he was older than me and he was kind of the cool guy with the cool car and he just became a really fast friend of mine. And we have been through ups, downs and life in general throughout our friendship. And today I have Neil on the line from Regina, Saskatchewan. And Neil did something really cool not too long ago. He climbed Everest Base Camp. I mean, as an avid hiker, I think I'm, you know, the cat's meow when I go out west here in the Rockies and I climb something. I did the Inca Trail and I still live on that high and I'm very public about it. But like, come on, Everest Base Camp. Neil, welcome. How are you? I'm absolutely fantastic. How are you today? Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm good. How's Saskatchewan today? The training, the EPA training center for the Everest Base Camp. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's pretty flat, but I think the masks we've been wearing this year help a little bit. It does restrict mm. a little bit of oxygen, but not much. <laughs> no kidding. Oh my gosh. What a weird time we're living in. My God. And it's very unique. Yeah, so it's my understanding in talking to you that not only have you, if you did reiterate to me the other day, Tannis, it was base camp, not Everest. I'm like, no, it's still pretty damn cool. So you can call it what you will. You did in, I do believe it's rated as the number one most difficult hike in the world is Everest base camp just behind, um, the next one is Kilimanjaro, of course. So give yourself mad props because you did it. And you were supposed to do it again this year, weren't you? Uh, yeah, we had planned a trip uh, earlier this year, but obviously with the situation in the world and what's going on, uh, we just had to postpone it for the time being. But uh, that'll change again, and then we will get to go do it again and um, hopefully spend a little more time in that region because it is fascinating. So let's back up a little bit to this whole idea of setting out to do something like this. What in the world made you decide that climbing for, you know, your first real big trek in the world, why Everest Base Camp? What was that about? 
Well, kind of, and, and we have been friends a long time and kind of growing up, uh, you know, I was very involved with skiing and I kind of mm-hmm. always liked to spend my time on the top of a mountain. And, uh, I've always been kind of fascinated with, with mountains and, mm-hmm. uh, kind of did a little bit of research a few years back and started getting interested in, in different sort of hikes and, and different regions of the world. And obviously Everest comes up a lot when, uh, when you are researching things like this. So, I just started watching like different videos and uh, just became more and more fascinated as as time went on. And then an opportunity uh, came about through uh, some friends that they happened to be planning more of an uh, it was an outreach program and an excursion. And uh, it was just an opportunity that I didn't realize would come up at that time. And I just jumped on it. And uh, it kind of went from there and uh, just started slowly training uh, through that process. And it's, you don't really realize um, uh, at the time living where we live, because there's, there's obviously no mountains where I am. So you, you don't realize what it kind of takes to, to train for this. So you just kind of start hiking and walking and um uh, go through that process and, and think you're ready for it. But it's, it's a real eye opener when you actually get to your destination and you look at the, the magnitude of what you kind of have to do. Uh, Absolutely. So it, that's how it kind of started and, and kind of progressed from there and how the opportunity came up. But it's always been, uh, always been a fascination just to try something like that. So tell me about the training in Saskatchewan. So for the people in the world that don't understand, Saskatchewan is a province in the middle of Canada and quite possibly the flattest part of Canada. And well, close to anyways. How does one train for something like this in the middle of the prairies? Well, to be honest, we you, you don't know uh, because um, you don't, know what what lies ahead You're, you you do a little bit of research online and um they say well you know try and restrict oxygen uh into your body by doing you know multiple hikes through different different areas the best that you can so we would go down to a small valley where you grew up mm-hmm. and we would just hike those hills up and down and up and down and um when you get there it's actually, it's not what you think it should be. At least it wasn't for me. So really there was a lot of people in our group. There was actually a group of 12 of us and we started a little bit lower in the climb because we did uh, kind of a, it was a dental outreach and a, uh, a freshwater outreach for a certain village. And you, uh, our first day of climbing, um, we would, it was maybe 400 meters, which it, it's, it's, it's a bit of a hike, but it's not that significant from what kind of lies ahead. Mm-hmm. So we did this 400-meter hike, and it took roughly two hours uh, to get up to thing. And we were, we were tired. We were, we were exhausted, and we kind of sat down and had some lunch. And these children in this area, they would run by us like we were standing still. <laughs> just showing you up hey <laughs> well, we're, yeah, and, and we're in all this hiking gear and hiking boots and they're in flip you're prepared for everything shorts. oh it was ridiculous and we're watching these guys are like well these they're they're like goats like they can jump from <laughs> rock to rock and, and, in uh, flip-flops 
uh, we're just we, we just feel useless. So we're, we're asking the local people there um, where the, were they kind of going because they were all kind of migrating in the same direction. Well, they said, well, they climb down this mountain halfway up this other mountain. They go to school and then they climb it back at the end of the day. And it roughly takes them about a half an hour to 40 minutes. Well, then we're like, OK, well, I'm, I'm a middle aged guy and I'm huffing and puffing getting up this first part of the climb. And it's really kind of humbling. Uh, no by the time you get to the top of this first little step. And uh, at that point, you realize, well, you know what? It really didn't matter what I did before I got here because this is far larger than, than what I expected. So then it turns from a physical game into a mental game at that point. So, like, And that's kind of where I want to stop you because I think just – sorry, not stop you, but interject a bit because I think – Landing first off in Nepal. <laughs> did you fly into Lukla? Uh, no. Uh, so oh, what okay. we did is we we flew into Kathmandu and spent a couple okay. of days in Kathmandu, and Perfect. that's shell shock. Uh, right. So that's the thing. It's chaos. Like, yeah. No yeah. kidding. So not only so, are you landing there to go and do this thing that you you're looking at now going what the hell oh my god I'm here I gotta holy shit but now you're you're in Kathmandu and it's probably just complete lost in translation tell me about arriving there oh it's chaos uh, so <laughs> so you get off the airplane on onto the runway and you kind of get herded like ca- cattle into this area and you, you have to pay a fee to get into the country which uh kind of everybody waited in line and 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 you pay your fee, and then you go into the main part of the airport terminal, and uh, there is luggage everywhere. So what you're doing is you're kind of hunting through your luggage, and then uh, I'm new in the country, and I don't speak the language, and people kind of start grabbing your luggage for you. So I thought they were guides for us. I thought this was all arranged, but they weren't. They were strangers, I found out (laughs) afterwards. So they're helping me throw my luggage into this truck, and I'm like, thank you, thank you. So... They're like, tip, tip. So I'm like, okay. So I open up my wallet and I just kind of spread it open and they just kind of start grabbing money from me. And I'm oh like, my gosh. okay, this is, <laughs> I guess this is normal. So uh, the lady that was with us, kind of our tour guide that's been there before, she goes, Neil, close your wallet. They're, they're taking money yeah. and they have nothing to do with our group. I'm like, oh, okay. And they kept saying white one, white one. And I'm like, well, what's a white one? They said, well, that's a $10 bill. And to them, that's that's a lot of money. That's like half of their salary for the month. So okay. I was able to help some people out, unknowing that I was helping some people out. And that was good fun. on you, Neil. <laughs> yeah, but uh, then when you're flying into this city, it's I think there's a, just over two million people in the city, and you're flying at night, and it looks like you're in the middle of the field because there's no streetlights or anything like that. So that shell shock. They're like, where you're you're right over top of Kathmandu, and you can't see anything. So you're like, wow, well, there's no city. There's no city down there because I don't see any sort of street lights. And uh, you're driving down the, the freeway and there's kind of cattle on the freeway. And uh, oh, my gosh. And different things. And you're like, this is really cool. Yeah. So it's like being in Saskatchewan, got, but not. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was actually. And the people are very, very friendly. They're very, oh, uh, good. very happy. Yeah, super happy and super friendly. And uh, Did you yeah, feel safe? was. Uh, I never felt unsafe. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. No, it's, it, uh, no, I would, uh, again, uh, if we're planning again to go and no, it's, it's not like that. No. 
Okay, so you arrive into Kathmandu. It's kind of a little bit of a shell shock and you're feeling a little bit displaced, but hey, everybody's okay. And you've supported some families so far and it's a great landing. And then you go and my understanding, you have to be there for a couple of days before you set off. Is that correct? Uh, It was more of a choice uh, just to go around the city and kind of experience the city and and, uh, go through. uh, There's kind of a a very well-known tourist area called Tamel. And just experience the culture was more why we stayed for a couple of days. Uh, you don't have to acclimatize there yet because you're you're fairly low at that point. Okay. Uh, normally, what what a regular trek would do at that point is you would fly from Kathmandu to Lukla, but we didn't. What we did is we went to this initial village, and uh, we decided to take a jeep, which oh, was fun. about a oh a hundred and seventy kilometers long, nine hour ride. The best roller coaster I've ever been on in my life. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And then we kind of got to this one point and the road stopped and it was a river. And we're like, oh, um, what do we have to do here? And he, we drove into the river and instead of driving across the river, you drove down the length of the river. And that was really interesting because that was actually the road. The river was the road that this Jeep oh my uh, gosh. drove in. And then you would have, um, like, you've seen the show, The World's Worst Roads. Well, it was identical to that. So you would have to stop, and uh, you would have to either back up or allow another vehicle to back up because it's basically a goat path, and there's uh, one vehicle allowed. And you would see these uh, buses that would be carrying many people, like people be hanging off the sides. And one tire would be somewhat hanging over top of the edge of this playoffs and they would just go around the corner and carry on like that's absolutely normal life for them and uh, there was a lot of people in our group that got car sick uh, just because of the condition of the road and that but oh it was just phenomenal fantastic so you've arrived you've been on the roller coaster ride of your life and you haven't even set off on the track yet so tell me about you had mentioned a little bit uh, before about you know seeing it and you know, those first, you know, few hours of that first day and the little kids. Tell me about um, changing your mindset after that. You mentioned that you were quite winded when you first started and seeing these kids, you know, go up and down and back to school and all of that. Tell me how you changed your mindset. When you do this trek, um, even though we were in a group of 11 people, it's a very... um, I don't know how to describe it. it you, you're very alone because you don't walk at the same pace as other people uh, in the team because everybody needs to pick their own pace. You can't try mm-hmm. and keep up with people or if you're slower than people, you have to go at your own pace. And the slower you climb, uh, the more that your body acclimatizes to the change in the oxygen levels. So really, you're in your head a lot when you're actually doing this climb and uh, because of the type of terrain you're on, there's a lot of distraction as far as where you're going to even put your feet because you're in a lot of areas, you're, you're kind of hopping from rock to rock. And so you're concentrating more immediately on what you're doing and just taking it slow and just enjoying the time in that moment that you're there, which is what I found to be the most important thing of this trip, that you really get to enjoy your own company and being in um, 
in the in an area that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to go into plus challenge yourself uh you know hour after hour and some days were tough like uh um there was one day we were 28 kilometers and uh thousands of of meters that we climbed and descended and climbed again and it's it's not a steady climb it's up and down and up and down and and uh it, it's fascinating it's absolutely fascinating uh the further you climb up though uh the more i felt and i don't know how the rest of the team felt it more feels like uh it's like a place where humans kind of shouldn't be but we're there it's very yeah. very quiet and and rough and unique yeah Interesting. And I remember you telling me that there was all kind of fitness levels. Oh, you, you know what? Actually, the people that trained less, um, they did as well as the people that trained a lot. And I would say that I trained quite a bit for it. It's all in how your body reacts to the lack of oxygen. And there's, there's two aspects to it. There's the physical aspect where you actually have to be able to move yourself over the terrain which uh, some days is tough, but then there's the other aspect where when your oxygen levels start to deplete, how your body reacts to that as well. Mm -hmm. So the people that were just slow and steady, and there was people in our group that were in their mid-60s. Stop it. Oh, God, I feel inadequate. Didn't (laughs) Didn't what? Oh, you know what? And they, they... they just did a fantastic job. They were slower than the rest of us, but oh, they still. Oh, I thought you meant she didn't do it. Okay. Oh, she did. No, no. Uh, <laughs> one lady made it, and the other da- lady didn't. Uh, and, and and it wasn't because of of oxygen. It was it was more because her legs gave out. Oh, okay. Yeah, but huh. you know what? And that that was fine. Uh, out of uh, out of the team of eleven, there were four people that didn't make it to base camp, but that's, that's okay. That's, that's, that's okay. Just part they of tried. Oh, you know what? And they made it up to levels where uh, a lot of people couldn't make it. And uh, even one of our guides at uh, close to 3000 meters, he got altitude sickness and had to descend. That was the only, that's your only recourse when you're that high. I actually, Sorry, this is totally about you, but I'm going to throw this in there. When I did the Inca Trail, I woke up the one morning with altitude sickness, and that is the most god-awful experience. And holy crow, like it's it's mind-numbing. I can't imagine doing it e- even higher. Like it's, oh my God, it's awful. So I, it's, I, ugh. I, I got altitude sickness as well. I did didn't you get really? altitude yeah, but I didn't get it until I was at base camp. So when we were at base camp, uh, you don't spend a lot of time there. It's really, if you're there for half an hour, that's all you're there because the Are day you kidding? is so. Oh yeah, that's there, there's nothing there really. I mean, they were they were getting set up to do uh, climbs uh, to the top of Everest when we were there. So the camps were all there, and they were kind of getting set up, and they were doing their uh, acclimatization processes as well. Uh, lots of helicopters flying people in and out because of altitude sickness. So we would see upwards of 20, 15 to 20 helicopters a day. Stop uh, it. 
uh, 50% wow. would be evacuated off of base camp. The other 50% were being evacuated on different levels of the mountain, just on, on how people were reacting. And when we were at base camp, again, you only spend a little bit of time there. It's really kind of a unique place. Uh, you can kind of hear the ground moving underneath you because you're basically on ice. <laughs> and so you're jumping oh. from kind of from oh. ice block to ice block. And there's crevices and things like that. Is it dangerous? Well, only if you kind of do something stupid. Yeah, then it can yeah. be. But if you take your time and every and you're and you're caught cautious about what you're doing it's fine but you're not staying at the last rest stop before you push into base camp you're staying below that so a regular day to get to base camp would be about an eight to nine hour walk and you're tired and you're you're doing kind of one step in front of the other and every 10 or 15 steps you have to stop and it's very unusual because it's windy so it's super windy yet there's no oxygen and you're like should be more, oh, that's should be more oxygen here. Yeah. That's just not here. So when I got sick, so I went back down to what's called Gorak Shep, which is uh, the, the village, a very small village, only about five or six buildings, before the base camp push, which is about two and a half hours from base camp. They kind of assessed me and said, you know, Neil, just to be on the safe side, just drop. So I had to drop an extra kilometer. So that was about three o'clock in the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon. By the time we got to the next village that I had to go to, uh, it was pitch black. And there was a guide with me and we're hiking in the Himalayas, just him and me. And he's super, super great guy. I really got along with this uh, gentleman. And he, uh, I said, um, it's the middle of the night. I said, I have no, no idea where I am. And I'm a little bit disoriented because that's kind of, well, you've had it, yeah. so it makes you kind of yeah. feel drunk, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Drunk and stoned. Yeah, right. So I'm, Sorry, uh, Dad, I'm not good. that I know what that feels like, if he's listening. Yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hope he is. <laughs> hi, hi, Richard. <laughs> so we, hi, Dad. <laughs> we, we, we dropped down, and uh, I was a little bit nervous, but yet I had no idea where I was, and I said, well, aren't you? kind of nervous being up here he goes well the only thing that survives at this altitude is spiders and i'm scared of spiders so i'm like oh great thanks for the words of encouragement so now i'm watching for spiders walking through the himalayas and it's um it's beautiful because you're so high above everything else the the amount of stars that you can see and just uh just taking in the night sky was was worth was worth it yeah it was beautiful so well, just keeping in the essence of time here, friend, I could talk to you all day. What I want to know, did your expectations meet the reality? Oh, yeah, far, far exceeded the, the expectation. I didn't know oh. what to expect. So I, I, don't, I don't know if I had a lot of expectations. I just really kind of enjoyed uh, what we were doing in the moment and will enjoy it again over and over. It's really an area that I could spend a couple months a year and, and just explore and uh, really the people that you uh, run into that live there, they're, they're just so appreciative of what they have in their life, which is so less than what we have. It just gives you uh, an opportunity to experience different values in this world. And that's probably and I the think biggest that's... thing that I got out of it. 
that's what I want to know from you is how has it affected your life? Like, how has it made you see things that are like, what was the best part of it? Like how, tell me about that. How did it change the way you think? How did it change the way you act or just the way you are? Well, I've always been a little bit high strung, as you know. What? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Stop it. Who told you that? I I think I'm (laughs) less high strung than what I was because it's a type of experience that you reflect upon regularly. It's not something that when, when I go skiing in the mountains and and go to Western Canada, I love Western Canada. I love BC. Um, you go there, you have your vacation, you come home, you kind of reflect a little bit about it, and then your life moves on. These are the type of experiences that you reflect on quite frequently. And yeah. this has been a little while since I've been there and can't hardly wait to go back and experience more of it. So I, it's just a different appreciation, I think, is what, what I got out of it and uh, more of an appreciation for simpler things. Neil, I am so proud of you. And I am uh, proud to call you my friend, but I'm proud of you and this accomplishment. I think it is incredible. I think the mind game, the physical game, everything that encompasses it and the ability to just do it and carry out what you thought of, you know, you said it's Everest and I'm just really, really in awe. And I could talk to you about this for hours, of course, but I thank you so much for sharing this short snippet of your experience because I think there's people out there who dream about it and who dream about these kind of accomplishments and are worried to try them. And I think that just listening to you and hearing about it and knowing that there were 60-year-olds who did it, some make it, some don't, but hopefully it gives people the push to you know, push past the edge of it and try something different. And I really, really thank you for sharing your story and being here with me today. Thank you so much, Neil. Oh, and thank you. And next time I go, you can just come along. I think I should. But I just said that very publicly, and I might have just shot myself in the foot. Um, I'll I'll hold you to that. Oh, gosh, right? Wouldn't that be? Oh, my gosh. You'd have to piggyback me, ma'am. I would try it, though. I I totally would. Absolutely. Totally. I just need some preparation time. But, but yeah, thanks again. And thanks, everybody, for listening and tuning in. Don't forget to follow me on Travel with Tannis on Instagram. And with regards to the podcast, you know, like, subscribe, share with your friends, Helping me expand my reach just helps everybody. And of course, sharing information. It's always about information and inspiring travel stories. And thanks everybody for listening. Mm